couple of weeks ago, I shared a message called Mute the Mistrust, which is about the fact that sometimes God might even literally mute our mouths just so that he can mute the unbelief that sometimes comes out from us so that he can actually do his plans and his purposes for us. Last week, we looked at uh, the book of James. We actually just spent time in one chapter, James being the brother of Jesus. We spoke of, we looked at how James uses three different stories, three different examples to talk about how influential and powerful the mouth is. It helped, he helped us understand that our words are really powerful. And in fact, I've had such great feedback. I heard some of the circles met this week and were talking about the messages of the last two weeks and, and how this, this series has been really impacting people, especially with our words. And we sort of ended the message last week on, on, on the importance of associating our words and our mouth with the Holy Spirit. We studied about how when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, the first body part that he touched, that he used, was the human tongue. And it sort of exemplifies that our tongues, where our words go, where our mouth goes, sort of where our future is. And I wanna sort of build on that, I wanna expound on that, and I wanna read from Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to pray with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that as we talk about something that we also naturally do, which is talk, which is communicate, which is speak, and also yet at the same time talk about something that is so supernatural, which is praying in the Spirit, which is your work of the Holy Spirit. We just thank you, God, that you will combine the two and teach us and open our hearts to understand that the power of words, but even greater, the power of a submitted mouth and a submitted tongue and what you can do with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We just read from Acts chapter 2, and we just read about how God so supernaturally enters the room. Just to give you the context, a bunch of people, they say around 120 people were waiting. It's probably a few more, but on that day, 120 people were praying for a couple of days, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit came. And it was not the fact that the Holy Spirit came, it was a fact of how He came. And when He came, the Bible says that they began to speak in unknown tongues. They began to speak in a new language, and all sorts of things began to happen. What I did not spend too much time reading was after that, there was a bunch of people that started getting confused saying, what are these people talking about? And there was one of the apostles, one of the disciples, his name is Peter. Peter stands up, starts preaching a message, not a really long message, but a powerful message. And within a frame of probably 10 to 12 scriptures, the Bible says that out of that message, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. They went from 120 to 3,000. And that's amazing. That tells me a few things. That tells me that when God is about to bless something, He's about to grow something. A, a sign of health is growth and all of that. But what stood out to me as I was reading the scripture this week was Peter. Because how many of you know that if you've read any part of the Bible before the book of Acts, P Peter was crazy. Anytime he opened his mouth, we weren't sure what he was going to say. One second he says the most profound thing. The next second he says the most absurd thing. Have you ever met a person 
And you don't know what day they're on. Like some days they're so spiritual that you're like, man, that guy is the man. He's got to be my mentor. Then you hook up and you want to do coffee. And then when you have coffee with them, they start saying all sort of profanity and all sorts of crazy unbelief and gossip and malice. And it was like, who is that person? That was Peter. But on the day of Pentecost, what happens is literally as he surrenders his mouth, as he surrenders his tongue, God takes over this moment and God begins to use him powerfully. In fact, I don't know if you know the story. There's a passage in the Bible where it talks about how Peter denies Jesus three times. That's a bit of a difficult thing to deny somebody when you spend every day, every moment with them. Peter did not just go to the school of Jesus. Peter literally lived with Jesus. Peter was really literally the band manager of the tours that Jesus did. Peter went to other towns and set up meetings for, Peter, for, for Jesus. But there's a moment where, where Jesus is about to die and his, his votes are going down and his following is reducing. And, and, and there's a passage in the scripture where Peter denies Jesus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But I noticed this week three things that Peter did when he denied Jesus. We talk about Jesus, but we don't talk about what he said and what his attitude was when he denied Jesus. Check it out. Matthew 26, verse 69. It says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You, are also, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Now check out what it says in verse 70. A lot of times our eyes zone in on the words denied because we know he denied. So we look at that. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. I want to talk not about the denial. I want to talk about what he said. What he said was, I do not know what you're saying. In other words, this is what Peter did. Peter did not even acknowledge the fact of who Jesus is. I don't know if you know what I, what I just said. He did not even say, oh, that Jesus you're talking about, I don't know him. He literally says, I do not know what you're saying. It's sort of like, like you know, this girl says, you are with Jesus. Gee, what? Who? Like, can he say that name again? I've never heard. He's literally full-blown denying not just that he was with him, but his very existence. I call that belittling. In other words, he was belittling the moment. This guy... Jesus was the talk of the town, but, but Peter sort of promotes himself to a place where he literally belittles the moment. Have we ever belittled a situation? Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, you shouldn't have said that, that was mean? You're like, you call that mean? Let me show you what mean is. Let me tell you what I've been through. Let me tell you how people have been, and you start sharing stories. about That is literally what Peter is doing. He's sort of like, what? Like, gee, what? Like, you know, who are you talking about? Jesus? Like, easy? Are you talking, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? You know, he's just belittling the moment. How many of us have done that where anytime we've been confronted with situations where we try to belittle a moment and we begin to see this pattern in his conversation? So the first thing he, the first way he denies Jesus is by belittling Jesus and belittling the moment. Check out what it says in verse 71. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were with that this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But check out what it says. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. So this time he takes it up a notch. He actually acknowledges that he knows that there is a man. And he says, I don't even know the man. That's what I call lying. How many of you have ever said a lie? Thank you. The rest of you that had your hands down, you just said a lie right now. 
Congratulations. You just said you just said a lie. So we're all liars. So we've all said lies. You know what I'm saying? A lie is not just a full-blown lie, but when we exaggerate, when we sort of change times, oh, I'm running late. When you're really not running late, you're running late because you slept in, but you're texting and saying you're running late. Why are you running late? There's a traffic. I'm, at the, I'm running late because I'm at the traffic light. Don't blame the traffic light. If you'd woken up and if you'd got on time, you probably would have skipped the traffic light. You know what I'm saying? So how many of us have used our mouth to lie? I think we've all lied. And so the second strategy of Peter when it comes to denying Jesus is he lies. Now the third one, the third time it gets worse. Check out the third way he denies Jesus. Verse 73, it says, and a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Now, check out what he does in 74. I wanted to make sure it's a new King James because every other Bible sort of clears it and makes it a bit more uh, kids friendly. But 74, it says, then he began a curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. In other words, his third strategy was he began to use foul language. Have you ever noticed people use foul language when they're really trying to tell you that they're telling the truth? Like you confront them about something, you are not at all responsive because I feel you're getting convicted. It's okay. Don't just look straight. Just look straight. It's for the person sitting next to you. So, 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 so it's sort of like, you know, like someone accuses you of something and you're like, what? What the, you know, like it's not like, just to like, you sort of have to say those words to get a reaction just to say like you are so far associated from that accusation. And what Peter was doing was he was trying to use foul language because he was trying to say how far away he was from that accusation is so absurd that I have literally have to open my mouth and use foul words to help you understand how deeply you've affected my emotions. <laughs> and that's what Peter was doing. I'm saying all this because I think all of us have been guilty in the past of belittling a situation. How many of you, how many of you in your marriages have done that where you're being... You're being insensitive. Huh? Being insensitive is because of the way your father raised you. Do you know when I was a kid, they threw me in a herd of pigs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, how many of us have belittled a situation? You know, you're too insensitive. Stop shaving. You're too sensitive. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's not like how many of you, how many of you have been belittled? How many of us have, how many of us have just sort of like, you know, exaggerated? How many of us have, have lied about a situation just to get sort of like escaped that moment of confidence. And even worse, how many of us have used foul language, not necessarily because we mean it, but to really sort of demonstrate how much distant we are from that accusation. And I say this because maybe we fit in any one of these categories or maybe we fit in all three of these categories. And I'm using Peter as an example because if God could use a person who, he could, who denied him 15, 20 minutes in a row with all these different manipulative strategies. How many of you know that if God could use Peter in Acts chapter 2 to preach a message because he surrendered his mouth to the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people were added to the church. How many of you know that God can do that in your life? In other words, what I'm trying to say is that your tongue can be redeemed. There is hope for your mouth. There is hope for your words because sometimes we can say things like, I've been brought up this way. We all are passive aggressive. Without passivity running in our bloods, we cannot, we, we cannot handle Christmas lunch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we all sort of can go back into our upbringings and things like that. But can I say when you surrender your mouth to the Holy Spirit, something 
powerful begins to happen. And I want to talk about the association of our tongue and the association of praying or speaking in tongues. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, they're talking about the Holy Spirit and how they started speaking unknown languages. The multitude came together and were confused because, check it out, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. I want you to remember those words, in his own language. The first thing I want to talk about tongues. Tongues is a language. Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues is a language. If you, if you ever heard, if you ever heard uh, you know, someone speaking a language that you do not know, it might sound like gibberish to you, but I want you to understand that tongues is a language. And, and, and so we got we to gotta understand this because it's, it's not just a language, it is a prayer language. It's a holy language. It's a language given by God. And so I think it's important we understand this because I think the reason why some of us understanding and embracing tongues is because we think when we pray in tongues or when we speak in tongues or when the Spirit of God begins to move in us and allow us to speak in tongues, we think that we need to start speaking it fluently. Nobody in the book of Acts actually spoke fluently. It doesn't say that they spoke fluently. It says they heard their language. Maybe that could have been the miracle. They probably would have not been speaking fluently, but the miracle was the fact that the people around the room begin to hear it fluently. I want you to understand that when a, when a child is trying to learn a language, they start speaking in part. They start pronouncing words wrong. They start trying to express things in different ways. But how many of you know that as a parent or as an adult, when you hear that, you find that cute, you find that precious. And that is exactly what it sounds like in the, in the eyes of God, in the ears of God. When you speak in that unknown language, when you start praying in that unknown language, even if it's a few words that come together, what begins, what begins to happen is it's attractive in the hands of of God and can I say to you I know this might sound a bit exaggerated but it is a truth that five words in this prayer language is more powerful than 50 words in our language it's powerful it is powerful and, and, and I want you to understand that this language is something that God wants to give you. It's something that God wants to put on you. It's something that you can use in a powerful way. And maybe you do speak in this language. Maybe you do pray this way. But I want to encourage us as a church in this season to sort of increase that time and have that, be, that, be that person that says, I'm going to go after this like never before. The second thing you've got to understand about tongues is that it's not just a language, but it's that it's the language of the Spirit. It's the language of the Spirit. In other words, it's a spiritual language. See, a lot of times some people see this as a gift. Oh, they have this gift. Or she has this gift. Or they're so spiritual. So I want you to know that this is for everybody. Check out what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 too. It says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. Then check out what it says. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. I want to break those words. It says, For he who speaks in a tongue... In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. In other words, when he speaks in tongues, he is speaking in the Spirit. See, a lot of times people think speaking in tongues is just what Pentecostals do. Speaking in tongues is just what a bunch of crazy people do. But, but, but I want you to understand that Scripture is teaching us this morning that speaking in tongues is speaking in the Spirit. I reckon sometimes if I were to ask people, how many of you would like to speak in tongues? Maybe we might have 50% of the hands that might go up. But if I were to ask this question, how many of you would like to pray in the Spirit? I think all of us would be like, yeah, I want to pray in the Spirit. 
Uh, you know, I believe I have the Holy Spirit. Friend, I want you to know when you say you want to you want to pray in the Spirit, that's the same thing as saying I want to speak in tongues. I want to pray in tongues. And it's such an important thing that we understand. I like what Paul says. He says he speaks in mysteries. Church, I want us to understand that there's a realm that is beyond us. And in that realm, there are mysteries. But God does not just want us to live away from the mystery. What God wants is when we begin to pray in the Spirit, we begin to download these mysteries. And can I say, in these mysteries are not some weird things. In these mysteries are your future. In, your, in these mysteries is the plans and the purposes. In these mysteries is visions and dreams. In this mysteries is your God-given calling and it, it is so powerful. A lot of times people think speaking in tongues and speaking in the Spirit are two different things. But we are learning, we are learning the power of words. And, the power, and one, of the, one of the greatest ways we can surrender our words is by surrendering our mouth to the Holy Spirit. And the way we surrender our mouth to the Holy Spirit is by saying, God, I want this language. I want to pray in the Spirit. I want to pray in this new way. And it becomes powerful. I want, to get, I want to get old school for a moment. Can I get old school? I know this morning seems a bit old school already, but I want to get old, really, really old school. If you, if you haven't read a Bible, if you don't understand some of these concepts, I'm okay with you tapping out for a moment. But I know there are some Bible nerds and maybe you might appreciate what I'm about to share. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul starts talking about the spirit realm. And what he's saying is that he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but pretty much he's saying that the struggles that you have, the depression that you're facing, the anxiety that you're going through, the health difficulty that you're going through, it's not got to do with people attacking you or people being mean to you. He's talking about a superior realm. He's talking about a, a hidden realm, rather. He's saying that we wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. So Paul, Paul is sort of expounding on spiritual principles in the book of Ephesians. While he's doing that in Ephesians, uh, I believe in Ephesians chapter 6, he starts talking about this thing that everybody used to talk about in the 90s called the armor of God. <laughs> I'm going to put on the armor of God. Oh yeah, claps coming from the back. All right. <laughs> called the armor of God. Some of the teenagers are like, what is the armor of God? I know it's not under armor, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> what is the armor? So he talks about the armor of God. And what he starts saying is he starts expounding about the armor of God. He talks, talks about the helmet of salvation. He talks about the shield of faith. He starts talking about the sword of the Spirit. And pretty much what he's saying is you've got you've to remember your salvation because there will be days where the devil will come and tell you you're not saved. What he's saying is you've got to make sure you've got, you, you've got put on your faith because there are darts and there are invisible things that are coming your way. He starts talking about the sword of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying that you've got to get in the Word so that when the enemy attacks you, you start using the Word against things that's coming. When anxiety comes your way, you start coding scriptures to fight that anxiety. So that's what he's saying. But he starts using different instruments of warfare, like the sword, the helmet, the shield, and he starts talking about it, and then he says, you gotta put, and then he finishes off by saying, you gotta put on the armor of God. But do you know there's one thing in the armor that we actually never realize? Check out what it says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 17. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and check out what it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In other words, verse 18, he's saying, a part of the armor of God is to pray in the spirit. Do you realize that praying in tongues is a part of our armor of God? So you think a lot of times we're like, oh, I need to get this and I need to get that. I need to get in the word. I need to say these scriptures. But friend, if you don't have anything together, if you can start using this prayer language, it becomes quite powerful. Is it possible that maybe we are struggling 
because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to pray? Is it possible that there are things that we're going through? I've experienced this in my own, in my own prayer life. I remember uh, maybe going back 10 years, I had this invite to Europe. And I, and I, I had people saying, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come. Nothing was sort of lining up. There was more resistance. And it's sort of one of those things where you're just like, maybe if there's resistance, I've got to go. But, and so I spent an hour praying in English. Father, I pray, open the floodgates of heaven. Father, I pray for this. Father, I pray for that. Let the income, let this, like I'm praying and I'm coding scriptures also. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in the whole, I'm going to pray in tongues. So I said, Father, I'm going to pray about Europe in tongues. So I started praying in tongues. I'm not feeling anything. All right, so I'm just like, I'm supposed to feel this sense of flow, the sense of faith. I'm not feeling anything. So finally I said, Holy Spirit, can you, can you tell me what you're praying? And I literally felt the Holy Spirit say, you're not supposed to go to Europe this time. And I was just like, you know, some, have you ever, I don't know if you're like me. I've, I remember this one time I was praying uh, in, in tongues. I was speaking in tongues and it was all like, man, I was, I was getting really passionate. So when I get passionate, when I get fired up, I sort of asked God, God, what are you praying? And I almost felt like the Holy Spirit was not talking, like there's no, nothing coming in my thoughts. And then finally I begin to hear this little murmur. You know how when you like, when you put the TV on and the volume's low and then you start putting, you know, you start putting the plus button so that you can just increase it. So I'm hearing this, the same words. Please. So I'm just like increasing the volume and then I literally start hearing the Holy Spirit saying, Father, help Alvin. He is so stubborn. Father, help Alvin. He is so stubborn. Father, help Alvin. He is so stubborn. For literally the Holy Spirit, Father, why did you send me into this body? He is so stubborn. He is so arrogant. I'm just like, oh no, no, I don't want to hear that. Literally, I have had moments where sometimes I don't even ask God to interpret what He's praying through me. Can I tell you, church, when you start praying in the Spirit, I've had these moments where literally I'm praying in English and I start praying in tongues and literally I can see my prayers conflicting with God's prayers through me. How many of you know that sometimes we can be praying our thoughts and our emotions of what we think is gratifying in that given moment? But when you start praying in the Spirit, God starts renewing your mind, God starts renewing your tongue and something powerful begins to happen. My third thought on praying in the Spirit and talking about this language is it is not just a language. It is not just a spiritual language. Number three, it is a pure language. It is a pure language. The Bible is a book full of incredible stories. And there's a story in the Bible in the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 11 where a bunch of guys came together, a lot of people, and they said, you know what? We need to start making this big building. They get on this building project and they get so obsessed about it, they start saying, we're going to build this building all the way to heaven. And, and, and I don't think God had a problem with the building project, but I think God had a problem with their attitude and with their nature. Because check out what it says in verse Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Again, we're talking about languages, right? We're talking about the tongue. The whole earth had one language and one speech. I want us to scroll down to verse 5 because this is what it says. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. I want you to remember, remember those words. Indeed, the people are one and they, 
and they all have one language. The people are one and they all have one language. Remember, we're talking about languages. And this is what they, be and, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Check out verse 7. Come, let us go down. I want you to notice, look, look, look how God calls himself. He says, let us. God never says, let me, because that's the Godhead. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us go down and they confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. I want you to notice, he says these words, nothing they propose to do will be withheld with them. And God is saying, we better take this language away from mankind because with this language, all things are possible. You might read this and you go, that's a bit jealous, God. You know, like, why didn't God let them do what they wanted to see? God did not want them to do what they meant, what they set out to do because they were united. They weren't united for a just cause. They were united for a perversive and a rebellious cause. And God knew that this, this level of unity, how many of you know that there have been times when nations have come together and united for good causes? And there are times nations have come together and united for evil causes that's cost us things like the world war. And God knew that if they came together with this level of unity, there would be no good that would come out of it. But having said that, I want to make a few observations from this text. Can we do that? A couple of things we can notice is the world once had a language that joined them. Do we agree? The world had a language that joined them. I might be... This might sound a bit spooky, but I'm going to go further and say this language did not just join them. This language did not just unite them, but this language almost synchronized them. Is it fair to say that? Because if God is freaked out looking at our unity, then there's something there. There was a level of synchronizing. They were all connected on the cloud. And there was this level of synchronizing that was so intense. The next thing that this language did, this language gave them the faith as God says, to do anything. So this language did not just unify them. This language did not just synchronize them, but this language produced a level of faith with them that made them understand that nothing is impossible, literally. And, and I, want us to sh I want to use Genesis chapter 11 because last week what I did was I redeemed a scripture from the book of James and I want to redeem this portion of Scripture because I believe in the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. What God was doing was He was redeeming this language once again. He was redeeming unity into the church. And He said, now, see the thing, the, the reason why these men were united around in Genesis chapter 11 was negative and detrimental and destructive. But in Acts chapter 2, when they united together, they were united together as the body of Christ. They were united together unto God. They were united together unto Jesus. And it became the cause, the foundation of it was pure. And God can bless that. I want to show you a scripture that will really help you understand what I'm trying to say. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9. Check out what it says. For then I will restore to the people, check it out, a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. I, wanna, I want you to look up here. When was the other time in Scripture that they were in one accord? Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2. When they came together in the upper room in one accord. Zephaniah was literally prophesying Acts chapter 2. When they came together in one accord. That's the first thing that stood out to me from the Scripture. The second thing you notice it says is I will restore. It doesn't say I will create it doesn't say, I will release. It doesn't say, I'm about to do a new thing. He uses the word, I will restore. He was restoring 
What he took away in Genesis chapter 11, he redeemed in Acts chapter 2. Are you with me? And it becomes so powerful. And then what it says, it says, I will give them a pure language. Can I say to you, there is no language in the world that is pure. I've preached in over 20 countries. And whenever I'm talking to my interpreter, and as I'm about to say a few words, my interpreter always, almost everywhere I go, say, don't say those two words together. Because I know that sounds funny in English or that makes sense in English. But in our, in our world, if I, if I interpret that, that'll sound like profanity. And can I say to you, every language has profanity. Every language in itself has some sort of evil in it. But can I say, praying in the Spirit, this language of the Holy Spirit is a pure language. And I've come to realize that when you pray this way, you're not praying selfishly. You're praying spiritually. You're praying with an element of sacrifice and that's when surrender, when you, can I say, can, if I give the worship team up, that'd be fantastic. Can I just say, when you surrender your tongue, it becomes powerful in the hands of God. And, and I, I just want to encourage us, maybe you, you pray in the Spirit. Maybe you don't pray in the Spirit. But I want to encourage you today to just start asking God, God, I, need, I want you to fill me. I want to open. I, all I was doing this morning was just breaking some of the mindsets that some of us have when it comes to speaking in tongues or understanding this thing. I'm going to build further on this next week. But I want you to just be praying all of this week saying, God, what is it that you want to speak to me? What is it that you want to say to me? Holy Spirit, I'm open to you this morning. And I just believe that God wants to do something so powerful in our mouths that as we begin to surrender our tongue, I want, I want you to know when you start surrendering your tongue, your, your marriage will begin to change. When you start surrendering your tongue, your life will begin to change. When you start surrendering your tongue, you, you are beginning to change. You're going you're gonna to look at things differently. You're going to have a different level of faith. In fact, Jude 20 talks about praying in the Spirit. It says, build yourself in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying when you pray in tongues, what begins to happen is your faith gets elevated. Your faith gets lifted. Your faith comes to a new place. And I just sense that, that God wants to do a work. I love what God is doing in our church. I love what God is doing in our midst. And I just want us to be open and I just want us to be sensitive and say, God, I want you to do in my life in 2020 what you need to do. I just want to encourage us, church. Let's not just be just be just Sunday Christians. Let's be people that say, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to really hear the voice of God. And church, that's that's what God. I know you come to church to hear me talk and hear what God has to say. But friend, I want you to know that you can have your own relationship with God. That God can speak to you at work on a Wednesday, and it can be such a specific word. It can be such a relevant word. It can be a word that is so powerful that it'll transform your life. Why don't we stand up right now? I just sense God's presence in this room. Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you, God, that you're among us, that you're in this room. I just pray for your presence to fill this place. I thank you, God, that, that you are here in this place.